0: Welcome to Make Me Your Voice with Pastor David Bartowell. These messages are intended to deepen your faith and trust in a living God who speaks to us with hope and reason. Today's message comes to us from the Gate Christian Bible Church in Orange County, California. We've been going through Job, the book of Job. He suffered immensely. I noticed that there's a lot of talk about UFOs lately. Have you heard of this? So hypothetically speaking, if beings from another planet were to come to this world, how do you think they would assess it? I guess if they landed in, let's say, Mission Viejo, they might think this world is a good, beautiful place. But what if they landed in the cancer ward at Mission Hospital? Or the grave sites of the fallen soldiers who died in battle? What if they landed in South Sudan, where the poverty rate is 82%? Or the sub-Saharan desert of Africa, where 22.7% of the population goes to bed hungry at night? Would they think that this world is good and beautiful then? Or would they think that it's bad and evil? The word evil is difficult to define, right? Nevertheless, evil exists. I guess it's best defined as the opposite of good, but I want to challenge this. I think it's better defined, As the deprivation of good. If I were to paint two colors, white and black, what thoughts would be associated with each? Black is often associated with darkness or the absence of light. Evil, then, can also be defined as the absence or deprivation of light and good. The Bible says God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. So God is the only perfect being. He is all good and all loving. He is self-sufficient. He is deprived of nothing. Today, Finding Hope in Suffering is a sermon series. What can I learn about evil from Job's suffering? We began this series about seven weeks ago, and we've looked at the life of Job, who suffered at the hand of Satan, but by God's permission. See, Job had everything. He had a good life, a wealthy business, a godly family. He lost it all. He eventually lost his health. One day he was on top of the world. The next day he was in the dumps. And you can't deal with what happened to Job without dealing with the problem of evil. Number one, evil is inevitable. Evil is inevitable. The story of the Bible begins in Genesis chapter one, when God created everything from nothing. And I'm not going to have time today to defend Scripture. Some here today might believe in the Bible as God's inerrant word to us. Others might not. But I ask that you would accept God's story as revealed in the Bible as true, if only for the sake of my argument. And if you can show me another source that explains the origin of evil better than the Bible can, I would be more than willing to hear your point of view. So when God was finished creating... He said, it is very good. Therefore, this world was created good. It was deprived of nothing. God said, let there be what? Light. But something bad happened. Our ancestors, Adam and Eve, decided to commit tyranny. They chose to follow and obey the prince of darkness rather than the king of light. And this event caused a cataclysmic fall of mankind and God's creation. And what was good became bad and evil. And the gate of Eden was shut and no one can go back there. See, before the fall, though, God had commanded. He made an ordinance. He said, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For on the day that you eat from it, you will surely die. Now, let me ask you a question. When you see do not trespass or do not do something, what is your natural inclination to do it? Especially if you're a toddler or a young kid, right? God did not want his kids to experience or even know evil. That's how much he loves you. So he put limitations on them. And let me tell you this, God's limitations are always for the benefit of his kids. We don't think they are. But his kids, Adam and Eve, weren't satisfied with just knowing God. They wanted to be God. Look what happens. God commands one thing. Satan says another thing. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from that tree, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. The serpent is introduced into the story, known as Satan. But he had another name before that, Lucifer. Do you know what Lucifer means? Angel of light. Lucifer was an angel, a beautifully created being, who was not satisfied with just knowing God. He wanted to be God. Therefore, he was kicked out of heaven and ended up in the Garden of Eden, disguised as a what? Snake, serpent. Do you know that Jesus spoke about that event that I just told you that Satan was kicked out of? You know what he said? I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Here's what I want to challenge you with, because there's a lot of people who think that the Bible, especially the Old Testament, are myths. They're just made-up fables. But Jesus refers to them as actually happening. So either he's lying or it's true. So Satan is known as the evil one. He is behind all evil. He is known as the father of lies, a murderer. He wants to kill, steal, and destroy your life. He wants to kill and steal and destroy anything that is good. So he lies to Eve. He says, you won't surely die. And Eve took the bait, in this case, the fruit. And at that moment, sin that was not in the world entered the world. Sin is defying and disobeying God. And what was very good became tainted with very bad. And this happened. Cursed is the ground or the earth because of you, Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve committed treason against the king, and the punishment was what? A curse a curse of mankind and the earth. This is our plight. Why is there sickness? Why is there COVID? Why is there death? Why are there wars? Why is there hostility? It's because of the curse. What was very good is tainted with very bad. To this day, in fact, God's creation has been crying out for redemption from the curse. Paul writes, the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to the curse. We know that the whole creation has been what? Groaning, as in the pains of childbirth, right to the present time. All creation, that means the world, the universe, and everything in it. In fact, it means us. Paul goes on, not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, meaning the harvest of redemption, groan inwardly. We groan as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies, because our bodies are falling apart, just like the material earth is falling apart, is groaning for redemption from the curse, so to this material body you ever heard of Augustine, the theologian, 4th century? He wrote extensively on evil. And he used the key term that Paul also uses. It's the word corruption, or in Latin, corruptio. The apostle Paul uses this term in 1 Corinthians 15, which is a great passage about the resurrection and the redemption of the body. And he says this, For this corruptible body must be clothed with incorruptibility. This mortal body must be clothed with immortality. So this mortal body is corrupted with sin because of the curse. It longs for the day when it will be what it was meant to be, an incorruptible, immortal body. Now think of this. I believe that Adam and Eve were given those types of incorruptible bodies. I believe that they were supposed to last forever through eternity as they would be nourished by what? The tree of life, which was at the center of the garden. Sadly, they're cherubs guarding the gate to Eden because of Adam and Eve. But one day those will be lifted when Jesus comes back. But here's the thing. Their bodies became corrupted with sin, and they died. Now, they didn't die that minute physically, but they started the process of death. They died spiritually at that moment, though, because sin separates us from God. The curse took hold, and it's still in effect today. That's why our bodies wear out. Our bodies are corrupted by the curse, poisoned by sin. In the 1980s, I was a musician for my whole life growing up. But in the 80s, the gigs were scarce. So I took a job in construction. It was actually deconstruction. We would go to Riverside and demolish these old homes. And they would rebuild from the ground. Now, these homes look really good from the outside. But as we got in and dug deeper, guess what we found? Asbestos. See, our bodies might look fine from the outside, but it's infested with something worse than asbestos. It's called sin. Sin causes us to miss the mark. We do things or say things we do not want to do or say. Have you ever done that? We think destructive thoughts. We groan for the day that we'll no longer have to fight the evil that lives inside us. I'll never forget, a youth pastor once told me, I share this, I hope you take it correctly, but I thought it was funny. He was on a retreat with a bunch of junior high students. He's in the middle of the desert in an RV or a bus with all these students, and they were just out of hand. And he told me that a thought came into his mind. He says, I wonder if uh, I killed all these kids and buried them in the ground here for anyone would find them. And he's like, where does that thought come from? Where does that thought come from? Our sinful nature. Nobody thinks that. But here's the thing. It's not just about what we think. And it's not just about what we do. It's about who we are. See, sin lives inside of us, evil. It's the cause of our evil thoughts and desires. Augustine said that we don't choose evil as much as we choose evilly. Now, let me explain that. When I was in San Diego, I feel bad about this to this day. I was in San Diego on a choir trip in junior high, and I walked into a store in San Diego, and I stole some sunglasses. I knew I did something wrong. There was nothing wrong with the sunglasses. It's what I did that was wrong. In fact, the Bible says the love of money is the root of all evil. It doesn't say money is evil right? Money is just money. It's benign. It's what we do and our desires can become evil desires that cause us to miss the mark. So when a thief chooses to steal a car, he's not choosing something that is evil. The car is benign. He's choosing to get a good thing in an evil way. The evil is located not in the thing he chooses, but in the corruption of his soul. The ruination of a will deprived of the justice that ought to be a part of the structure of all human actions. Now, let me tell you this. We know instinctively that something is wrong in the world. I don't have to tell you this, but how do you know that it's wrong? Because instinctively, you know what's right. You wouldn't know What it's deprived of if you didn't know what it should have, right? See, you know that a house is ruined only because you know something about what the form of a house should be. It's the same with our bodies, the same with our souls. You know instinctively that this world and people are corrupted because you know what this world and people should be like. But because of the curse, we can't accomplish that it's corrupted. Now, it doesn't mean that people can't try to do good things. That's not what I'm saying. But evil will always get in the way at some point. I mean, think about the motives. You might want to do a good thing, which is great, but what is the motivation behind that? Dig deep. So your question might be then, why does God make corruption possible in the first place? Why does he make creatures that are corruptible? And Augustine would answer this way. They are corruptible precisely because they are creatures. They are created, right? And we also know the backstory, which is sin and the curse. Every house that is built is a house that got ruined. And some houses might last longer than others. But eventually the wood's going to rot and the house will fall. Only God is incorruptibly good. Creation in itself is corrupted because God does not create himself. He creates creatures who in in essence are corrupted. That's why Paul wrote, this corruptible body must put on incorruption. How does that happen? How does that happen? You put on Christ. You wear Christ. Now what does that mean? It means that you believe in Christ. And when you believe in Christ, Christ comes into your life, and then your outer garment becomes righteous. Not because you are righteous in yourself, but because Christ is righteous. Look what Paul writes. Read it with me. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Now, that word baptized, in the Bible, it can mean water baptism, Or it could mean spirit baptism. In this context, it means spirit baptism. It means that you have received the spirit of Christ, which is the Holy Spirit by faith in Christ, not by good works, by faith in Christ. And now you have put on Christ. So think about this. Jesus Christ is the only person to not be corrupted by sin. The Bible says he is without sin. He was born out of Mary's womb, but the spirit of God is the seed, not Joseph. If Joseph was the seed, then sin would have been passed through the seed. He is without sin because he was born of God, but he was also fully human because he was born from Mary. Now, when someone puts on Christ by faith in him, that person becomes like Christ, not God, but righteous. This person is born from above, or born again. The corrupted creature is made new. That's why 2 Corinthians five seventeen is a very important verse. Look, if anyone is in Christ, which means that you are in Him by faith, and He has come into you by His Spirit, He is what a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Now, this does not mean that this new creature won't sin because we still possess this old body. But the new has come. And what was meant to be in Eden with God forever will be made a reality in the new Eden, the new earth and the new heaven. And by the way, as with our material body, this earth's material body will receive a new body. And in the middle of the garden, guess what you're going to find? The tree of life in Revelation chapter 21, which is the end of the story. You'll see the tree of life. Eden is back open. All the believers are living there with God. And they're being nourished in their eternal bodies with the nourishment of the tree of life. This is the thing. The Bible says everyone is destined to die once and have judgment. Everyone will die mortally in the body, physically, unless Jesus comes and takes us back with him before that. But you don't have to die spiritually. You can become born again today. You can receive Christ right now by believing in him. It doesn't matter how many times you go to church, it matters whether or not you've come to Christ. So, unless you put on Christ, you will remain corrupted and remain under the curse, and you will surely die. Second, evil can be used by God for good. Now, that's a fascinating statement. Because the question must be asked, if there is a God who is good and who is sovereign, why does he allow evil? And I'm here to tell you today, ladies and gentlemen, that not only does he allow evil, he uses evil to accomplish his will. That blows my mind, and it should blow your mind. But he's sovereign. He can do whatever he wants. It doesn't mean he is evil. He uses evil to accomplish his will. We see it in the Bible. We see God using Pharaoh to accomplish his will in Israel. We see God using Nebuchadnezzar, who was an evil king, a Babylonian king, to accomplish his will, to discipline his people. Again, that does not mean that God is evil. It means that he uses evil. Okay, look, what Joseph, remember Joseph? Did he have some whacked out brothers or what? They tried to kill him. And they couldn't kill him. They decided, let's not kill him. Let's just sell him to slave traders. And they took him off to Egypt. But at the end of Joseph's flight, this is a powerful statement. Joseph says this, As for you, brothers, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. doesn't say God uses it even. He says he meant it for good. So all that pain and suffering that Joseph went through after that period of his life was done, he raised Joseph up to the second position in Egypt and saved Israel. He used Joseph to save Israel. Now, you might say, yeah, but he went through a lot of stuff. But I'll tell you what, whatever God wants to do with my life, please do it, because I screwed it up. Job suffered like Joseph. His second part of his life was blessed. Look, Job 42, 12, the end of the story of Job. The Lord blessed the latter parts of Job's life more than the former part. And look at this verse, the next verse. He had seven sons and three daughters. That's exactly what he had before. Now, rabbinic tradition, interestingly, reads Job to suggest that these are his dead children resurrected. That's what God can do, ladies and gentlemen. He can resurrect what was dead. Putting on Christ means clothing yourself with the blessings that surpass this life. Your second life, your eternal life, will be more blessed than the former. Why? Very important verse. Remember what I started with. Read it with me. There will no longer be any curse. What? Can I hear a hallelujah? I'm tired of the curse. One day there ain't going to be any curse. If you place your faith in Jesus Christ You will put on Christ and you will be with Him forever in heaven with God and all the resurrected people that you love who have placed their faith in Christ, and there will no longer be any curse. That's why there'll be no more pain, no more crying, no more dying, nothing like that. Now, I asked you at the beginning, you might not believe the Bible is inerrant, the Word of God, but I asked you to at least follow the story. That's an incredible story. Like I said, if you can think of another source, that gives you that detail of a story of what's going on in this world, (laughs) I want to hear it. What was corrupted is now redeemed. You know, Paula has a business called Redeemed Homes. The first time I got a call, she said, Pastor, can you come and pray over this house? She goes in and buys these houses, and she asked me to come pray over the house. And we go through every room, pray over the rooms. And then I go look at it like three months, something like that. I come back and look at it. It's a totally different house. It looks amazing. That's what God does in this house. He redeems this old home and makes it good as new. That's why the Bible says, read it with me, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? Now, let me ask you a question. Is it possible for something to remain corrupted if God's spirit lives in there? No. And you can't make yourself uncorrupted. Only God can do that. I grew up going to church. We drove 40 miles to a Greek, Melkite, Byzantine Catholic church in North Hollywood. And I heard about Jesus, but I didn't know who he was. I thought he was always mad at me. I had him on a cross on my wall. I always felt bad, like I was ashamed. He hates me, like I'm screwing up my life. I also grew up playing as a musician and when I was 12 years old in that San Diego trip where I stole sunglasses, sadly. I met a drummer who was in the same junior high, John Stamos, who's an actor. And I asked him to come join my band. And it was him, and myself, and my brother all doing gigs. And it was amazing. And then through that, I got to play with Richard Carpenter, the Carpenters, and toured the World, and the Beach Boys. I was like on these huge stages. And I was the most empty, depressed person because I wasn't fulfilling my purpose. I thought that was my purpose. And I'm like, this is it? Jim Morrison was my idol, the least string of the doors, and I was going to end up like him. So one day, I'm riding my bike to the beach. I prayed. I said, God, if you really got to show me. And a few weeks later, my phone rings. The guy says, hi, is Bob there? And I said, I'm sorry, I have the wrong number. And before he hung up, he goes, hey, man, Jesus loves you. It's like, OK. Next day, I'm in a mall, and there's a guy sitting on a bench. And he looks at me, and he goes, hey, man, Jesus loves you. And about a week later, I'm in a parking lot and there's all these cars and there's one car that my eyes focused on, a pink VW bug that had spray painted all over it in fluorescent colors. Jesus loves you. And I remember praying, God, if you're real, you have to show me. And he did. And that moment, I placed my faith in Jesus Christ and a weight, it felt like a weight fell off of me. My life didn't become perfect, but at least the perfect one is with me. And then from that point on, God ordained me as a pastor at Saddleback Church in the music ministry in 1993. Here I am, how many years later? But that's what God can do. That doesn't mean he's going to make you a pastor. It doesn't mean he's going to send you to Africa. Or he goes, oh, he's going to send me to Africa. No. There's people here who need Jesus. Your neighbors need Jesus. You need Jesus. And last, evil was defeated at the cross. That's the most important thing, people. Look. Most people know intuitively that this is not the end of the road. We groan for something better, but sadly, we live like this is it. The cross, the resurrection changed all that. Someone had to pay the ransom for Adam and Eve's sin. That someone is God's son, the perfect, uncorrupted person. He had to be someone who can mediate between God and man. So that person is the God man, Jesus Christ. He took upon himself To live the life I could not live, and to die the death I should have died. And when he said, it is finished, it was done. It was over. And the Bible says he disarmed the rulers, the evil, the spiritual authorities, and disgraced them in public. He triumphed over them by the cross. Satan has no power over you anymore in regards to sin and death if you have put on Christ because you are in Christ and he is in you. And he's going to take you home to be with him when you leave this earth. Don't leave home without him. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this morning. I thank you that we could have this opportunity to worship you, to learn about you. But if we leave here just with head knowledge, That's not what transforms us. I pray that this morning that people will accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and believe in him so that they can put on Christ and defeat this evil world. That's why Jesus said, in this world you will have suffering, you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome this world. Jesus has done that for you. When he spread out his arms on the cross, he says, I love you this much. Come to Christ. Maybe you've been coming to church your whole life. Come to Christ this morning. Open your heart and say this to him and mean it. Lord Jesus, come into my life. I ask you to forgive my sins. Thank you for dying on the cross in my place. Thank you for rising from the dead. I want to rise with you. I want to put you on. I want you to come into my life and be the Lord and Savior of my life. Thank you, Heavenly Father. Only you can draw people to yourself. I can't do it, Lord. Only you can change. Only you can redeem homes. And I ask you, Lord, that you would do that in our life. In Jesus' name, amen. Pastor David Bardowell's message reminds us that God speaks to us with hope and reason so that we can be his voice in this world. Please join us again for Make Me Your Voice, a ministry of the Gate Christian Bible Church in Orange County, California. We would love to have you join us for a Sunday service. For more information or to find our location, please visit thegatecbc.com.